0: Hello and welcome to the Boss Podcast. I'm Kirk Bailey and this week we look at how the jobs to be done theory can help SaaS companies create effective positioning. Welcome to the Business of Software Podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. When marketing a product, it's common for founders to focus on the product itself with pitches like, look at our cool features, we help you do X activity better, which can just get lost in the noise. Capturing your customer's attention requires focusing on their ultimate motivation, their job to be done, to transform their current situation into a preferred one. Claire Sulentrop loves getting inside customers' heads, uncovering what those customers really care about, and using their juicy details to create great marketing. She's currently the co-founder of two companies, UserList.io, the behaviour-based email for SaaS products, and Forget the Funnel, SaaS marketing training. After this talk, you'll walk away with an understanding of how jobs-to-be-done theory helps SaaS companies create effective positioning, and a proven step-by-step process for uncovering your best customer's job-to-be-done. Happy listening!
1: Uh, So... No shame in saying Claire Sullen. When I made that Twitter handle, uh, Twitter wouldn't fit my first name and last name all into one handle, (laughs) um, which has caused a lot of confusion over the course of my career. Uh, So I have talked about Jobs To Be Done and and how you can use it specifically for marketing um, as opposed to just for product development at a couple of conferences now. Uh, I've never talked about Jobs To Be Done when Bob Mess is in the room. (laughs) So I told Bob I would try not to mess this up (laughs) Uh, So originally this talk was called, um, it it was supposed to be about product positioning. And as I I worked on the deck and made it more relevant to the boss community, I realized this isn't going to be about positioning, it's going to be about messaging, which is a little bit different, Um, but they're both, they're very related. Um, So uh, although it says positioning on the schedule, this is going to be about messaging. Um, And what's funny is messaging, working on your messaging uh, has been getting a bit of a bad rap lately. So just a couple weeks ago, uh, Mike Volpe, who was previously CMO of HubSpot. Since he's in Boston, I was really afraid he was gonna be here too. um, Tweeted this out and created a very long um, volatile conversation on Twitter. So many people want to help with messaging. So few people want to help with demand gen and sales. Do the hard work. Um, which really set me up nicely for this talk. Um, And I would agree with Mike that demand gen and sales are really hard work when you're trying to grow a product, grow an audience, um, and increase the number of customers you have. But I would also liken demand gen and sales um, to like running a race. if you're building a business, and building a business is like running a race, there's um, the training, there's how you eat beforehand to fuel, fuel yourself properly. demand and sales is like the actual running part. That, it is the hard part. So messaging is really how you fuel for the race. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because <laughs> I'm like really off my groove. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So messaging is how you fuel up for your race, right? Um, <laughs>
2: Do up. you want to join? <laughs> I'm trying to help, I'm not trying to stop. keep
1: going. Cool. So can I just let you know when to like hit the key? Yeah,
2: that just say next slide. Great. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I tried. I
1: was this is to help. Oh, yeah. This is the funniest any of my conference talks have ever <laughs> been. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. <laughs> All right, give it up for the AV team, also. Uh, So if messaging is how you fuel up for your race, then um, I think we'd all agree it's common sense. You wouldn't want to fuel your race with a box of greasy fries beforehand. And this slide actually makes me a little bit sick looking at it, um, because I'm trying to get back into running right now. It's not going well. Um, We all know that. If you were to, a couple hours before going for a race, um, eat this box of fries, your performance would not be the same as it would be if you fueled up on something like oatmeal or nuts or fruit. And I like to look at messaging in a similar way. So if you're using weak messaging in your marketing campaigns, in your sales emails, then yes, you're definitely doing the hard work. You're, You're getting out there and you're running. But how those efforts perform is going to be entirely different. So when I say, when I mentioned, you know, that there's a difference between positioning and messaging, um, those words kind of sound buzzy and marketing-y. And uh, before we dive into how to use jobs to be done to improve your messaging, let's talk for a minute about what positioning and messaging are and and where they kind of fit in the spectrum of marketing. So positioning is a really foundational thing um, that should be happening, really, before you ever develop any of these other things on top um, positioning is deciding which market you want to be in, which product category you want to be in, right? Who are, you serve- who are you serving and how do you want them to think of you? Do, they, do you want them to think of you as an email tool, an analytics tool, something else entirely? Um, if you don't have that right, you're never going to know exactly who to compare yourself to in your target, market, target market's eyes. So positioning is really foundational and then messaging, are the actual concepts, the messages that you need to use to help your audience understand why you're different, why you're better, why they would pick you over anything else. Copy is the literal words you're using to convey those messages, right? And campaigns, I use the word campaign because I couldn't think of a better one, uh, but campaigns uh, is everything that you do where your copy shows up in the world. So that could be marketing, right? It could be advertising, landing pages, it could be, um, the, the copy on a sign if you're, if you're sponsoring a conference. Uh, it could also be your sales emails. It could be any, anything, um, your campaigns, so to speak, are everywhere that your audience sees your brand for the first time. So now that we're on the same page about where messaging is between positioning and copy and, and so on, I want to tell a story about failed messaging. And to do that, I have to little, get a little bit granular and talk about my usage of a particular product. Um, so bear with me on what may sound like some boring details. So this is a screenshot of a tool called YNAB, which is short for You Need a Budget. It's, it's finance and, and budgeting software. Has anyone used or familiar with YNAB? Okay, so a couple of people, cool. Um, so my husband and I have been using YNAB to manage our personal finances for a, maybe three to four years. Uh, and then when I switched over to consulting, um, after leaving my in-house role, I set up an account to also manage um, the business finances. So I'm a pretty hardcore user of YNAB by now. And what was great about Winab for a long time was that instead of uh, tools like, I haven't used Mint in a long time, but when I, when I was first looking for a solution, um, a lot of tools will tell you after the fact, here's what you spent. And you're like, great, all the money's gone. All this is doing is depressing me, this is not helping me forecast or plan for the for next month, next quarter. YNAB actually um, helps you, teaches you to work with the money you have on hand um, and budget it accordingly. Now, if you're talking about quick growth, this may not be the tool for you, but for personal finances, it was great. Until it wasn't. So, A couple of, uh, I would say maybe a year or so ago, Wineab released a major, major update. Um, So first of all, they went from being purely desktop um, and a one-time purchase to SaaS, which is a great business choice, Um, but they also really, really changed a lot of the features. Um, One of the main ones was that in the old version of the the product, um, I've I've, uh, got a screenshot here of a fake, completely fake budget, Um, but in the old version of the product, if you overspent it in a month, then at the end of that month and in the following month, there'd be this big yellow or red negative number. And that feature was really important to my husband's and I use case uh, because he uh, he works within a company and the way that their expense system works is throughout the quarter, he puts a bunch of stuff on his personal credit card and then at the end of the quarter gets a big reimbursement. So when he is making business purchases, he's eating into the amount of money we have, but we know we're gonna get it back. Um, so we have a category that's basically like Steven's expenses, and at the end of the quarter, it's you know, a hundred to a couple thousand dollars deep, depending on if he traveled for work or all kinds of things. So we needed we needed that, that view so that we would understand how much money we were going to get back, um, and so that we could appropriately plan around that. Well. YNAB eliminated that feature, and instead uh, they in, instead of allowing you to see your, the debt you'd created month over month, they just took away uh, money. They just subtracted your overspend from the total available money you had to live on, which makes sense if you really adhere to their system of only spending the money you have, but that's just not realistic for a lot of people, us included. Um, so, the problem there was that if we wanted to keep using YNAB, we had to create all kinds of weird workarounds so that we could properly track that debt. And creating weird workarounds in your budgeting software is a terrible idea. right? There's so much room for human error. It's really easy to accidentally steal from your future self right? if you're, if you're not sure how much money you really have on hand. It was incredibly, incredibly stressful. And it's still stressful. I am literally still shopping for a solution. Um, so if you sell personal finance software, Talk, um, but this is a struggling moment, right? And most folks here by now um, are familiar with the concept of jobs to be done, so um, we don't need to like. We'll we'll talk about it lightly, um, but my husband and I are really stressed about this every time we budget or or balance our previous spending. So this is this is enough stress that I have been shopping for a solution for a long time now. Um, notice though that. I'm not shopping for a solution to like some old way of doing things, for example, budgeting using pen and paper or budgeting using a spreadsheet. I'm actually already using a tool that's supposed to help me. And I want something different than this tool, right? I want a competitor that's got a feature set that fits me. And here's what happens when you Google around for personal finance tools. So here's uh, YNAB's homepage at the time of my creation of this deck. Um, and it's not bad. Gain total control of your money. Uh, could be really appealing if I previously had no financial system in place. It's, it's okay. But look at some of the competitor websites that I found in my, in my real life search for a better solution. You ready to take control of your finances? And then it says, you know, track spending and, and manage a budget and seal your accounts. I, I already do that. Like, I'm, I don't, this doesn't tell me how Tiller is any different than what I'm already using. And to switch finance management software is a pretty high cost switch, right? This is a lot of data that I've got to migrate, I've got to learn a new system, I have to create new habits. This is not an easy tool to switch from. So I keep searching, keep searching. <laughs> Take control of your finances with Quicken. Uh, I could I could add additional screenshots of home pages. I see someone who's cringing here. Um, <laughs> who's worked with this particular company, but I I could post additional screenshots, um, but I think it would it would kind of over overemphasize the point that, to a point at which we don't need to go. Um, but in my search for a better solution, all I came up against were other solutions that gave me the exact same message. All they were telling me was, "We're going to get, we're gonna do the same thing YNAB does for you," which is not what I need. Right? I'm looking for something that that speaks to the particular struggle I have and will tell me that I I can get the flexibility or the customization that YNAB is not giving me. And I'm not seeing that from any of these. And you look at these things, take control of your finances, ready to take control of your finances, and you think, well, why are they all copying each other? This is so common, right? If there's nobody on your team who has a really solid understanding of how to speak to your customer's struggle, it is incredibly easy to just do a quick search of what your competitors are are writing Um, and tweak it a little bit, as these companies have done. Slap that on your homepage, or on your advertisements, or on your uh, dedicated landing pages, wherever it is that you're trying to reach your customers. The other way this happens is brainstorming exercises. (laughs) Uh, And if, if the way that you and your team have come up with your company's messaging is through a brainstorming exercise, then I would completely agree with Mike Um, who was previously CMO of HubSpot, now he's an investor, he runs his own company, that this type of messaging exercise is garbage. Because here's what happens. You and your team get in a room together. You're you're working with your own biases, right? You have this deep understanding of your product that that your customers definitely don't have. They're not at your level. And you you start to break down, okay, what makes us special? Somebody in the room says, you know, our product is really powerful. We We have some powerful features. Someone else says, ooh, I like that word. Powerful is great. And then somebody else says, powerful. Yep, that's it. We are, we, we are powerful software. And then you have your messaging. <laughs> and you go out into the world, and you realize that you're running on greasy fries. So this is why it is so important, even though it feels like a, a you know feel-good marketing exercise, this is why it's so important to get very strategic about identifying what your ideal customer is struggling with and speaking to that struggle in your marketing and showing, hey, we get you. We understand what your specific problem is, and we're here to solve it. So uh, I think I am like a little bit too ahead on a couple of different slides. Um, I mentioned that, um, uh, these slides are kind of irrelevant, because I said all the important things. So. What I wanna do in this talk um, is walk through the exact exercise that I've used to come up with compelling messaging, right? Messaging that isn't copycat messaging, messaging that wasn't um, thought up in a brainstorming exercise internally and not not ever vetted by customers. To do that is where we actually start to talk about jobs to be done. Um, I'm realizing this talk may be fairly quick because this audience doesn't need a lot of education on jobs to be done, uh, which is, is very different from the times in the past that I've I've gone through this concept. Um, But as a very, very light, um, high-level refresher, it's the theory that people don't buy things because they're interested in your product specifically. People buy things because they wanna make themselves better or their own lives better in particular ways, right? I'm not inherently interested in what personal finance software I use. I don't have brand affinity to a particular software. Uh, it's, It's that I'm trying to take away my own stress, right? That's what really matters to me. And I like to use this visual representation of, of what making one's life better kind of look like, looks like. This is what happens to me. This is what happens to you, to any of us when we go shopping for a new solution. So we're, we're going along in our life, and, and everything is normal. And then something happens that triggers a struggle. For me and, and my particular scenario, it was that my, my t- the tool I was using introduced a major feature update that completely changed how I had to use the product but it could be anything. It could be something that happened between you and your spouse, something that happened at work. It, it of course, is going to depend on the product you're selling, but a struggle always arises from a certain situation. And eventually, that struggle becomes so great, may take some time depending on what the struggle is, but it becomes so great that you actually go out to find something different. In my scenario, that was Googling a bunch of software. You may may ask your friends what they use. You may see something at a conference that sparks your interest. It, it It could be completely different depending on what the product is. But you seek a solution to the struggle. And when you find a new solution and the struggle is resolved, then your life is better, right? Because there's not this pain anymore. Now eventually, your needs will evolve again and you'll have a struggle again. Um, which, is, which is great for companies because they can figure out, okay, well, what do we provide next and next and next? But the struggle, for this example, the struggle is resolved and you can go on and your life is better. And with personal finance, I really wish my life was better, but it's still not. Um, your messaging should speak to that event that triggered the struggle, right, or the struggle itself, and then how your product is going to make life better, right, that's, that's what you wanna try to really hone in on in your messaging. Um, Now, there's a little tool that's been used by some practitioners out there called a job story, which is really helpful in defining what your customer's struggle is. Um, And I'm going to show you some worksheets and things to to really get to the heart of of your customer's specific struggle. Uh, But the main main idea of a job story is to condense a lot of information from many different customers into one experience um, that you can kind of use to lead your messaging and, and your marketing efforts. And it's when blank when a particular struggle arises, help me blank, um, how your product solves their struggle, so I can blank. And that last blank is, how is your customer's life better, right? Are they less stressful? Are they, well, actually, I'll just show a a very simple example of of that exact job story in action in a minute. Um, This is a more visual way of looking at it, uh, when, kind of in a timeline version. Um, But the when, the help me, and the so I can are what you're trying to get at. Um, So my struggle with my personal finance software is that when my partner and I have to front really large expenses and rely on reimbursements, which we do all the time, it's a very normal part of our daily life, give me the flexibility, right, to separate those from the rest of our spending, which I'm, that's the struggle, I'm not able to separate that out, uh, so that I can feel confident that our work is accurate, right, and we're not accidentally draining our bank account, and six months into the future, we're suddenly going, where did all our money go? Um, so you don't see any of that in in these particular brands' messaging, um, and I do want to make this. I do want to make the the case for um, some of your customers just not being a good fit for your product, right? There are, um, as was just discussed, there are ideal customers. There are the people who instantly get it. They really want to use it. They love it, and then there are people who are meh. Um, and so because of that, I, I frequently, when working with clients, I've, I've gotten pushback that. we don't don't want to get that specific on our our homepage. We've got so many different types of people coming to our website. How could we possibly drill down that deeply? Uh, And and so you may be thinking, well, these companies were just trying to stay broad enough to entice a large number of people to come and learn and and go through the website and figure out if it's for them. But your customers really aren't thinking in terms of of broad. Um, And if you've got a, a product that is fairly horizontal, it serves a lot of markets. I'd really encourage you to drive them off of the homepage as quickly as possible and into an area of your website that truly speaks to their specific scenario. It's gonna get you a lot further. Uh, and in, in my search for a new personal finance software, uh, I, you know when I came across these three very similar headers on these different competitors' websites, I thought, you know, I wonder what's out there. I wonder if anyone's running AdWords to a specific landing page, right? Is anybody trying to, is anyone trying to focus specifically on on um, people who are using YNAB and are unhappy? Is anyone going after that market? Uh, the answer was actually no. I, I didn't see anyone targeting me through AdWords, which was interesting and is a different conversation. But I did find that the top search result was Reddit. So YNAB users, are a massive Reddit community. There is so much talk on Reddit about whether you're using, whether you're using it right, whether you're using it wrong, how to do it, because it kind of involves, not kind of, it involves a lot of habit change for many people, and it's very, very active, right? Uh, and I, I drilled in and I thought, I wonder if other people are struggling with this problem because YNAB alternatives as the first result is probably pretty active. So look at the number of people who upvoted this post YNAB alternatives. 295 people, 295 people are actively seeking and really feeling some pains now that WineApp has released this new update, right? And this is only the people who are, who only, only who, excuse me, this is only the people who are, who participate on Reddit. How much more of their customer base is feeling this and not expressing anything because they don't have an outlet for it, right? I'm not an I'm not a active Reddit user, I, I read things on there, but like I would never take the time to upvote, yet I'm a rep, I'm, Representative of this larger group, right? So there's clearly something here. Then I dug into some of the uh, some of the individual posts. So WinAb4 alternatives. WinAb4 is the the new the new version um, that they pushed that has caused me some problems. And look at these words, right? These are not about give me control, right? They're my finance, My finances have been a mess because I cannot grasp this new software, right? Or uh, this person who said, the new features are pretty useless and sometimes they interfere with my usage. This is clearly a a larger problem, right? I'm I'm not some random edge case. And I understand they may be trying to go and and target a specific segment of users, but if you're a competitor, you have a lot of people who are waiting for you to speak their language, right? This is probably one of my favorite ones um, accidentally stealing from the future because it really well encapsulates how I feel as well. This is, this is stuff that is ripe for, for testing on a landing page somewhere. <laughs> so the point is, uh, if you are a competitor of Wineab of or um, insert the, the product that, that you're working on, doing this research and figuring out whether people are searching for alternatives to your, to your competitors can unearth whether or not there's, there's a struggle that you could be better speaking to. And imagine how effective that might be for you. Right? If you tested a campaign that was XYZ alternative, uh, there are actually a number of, of products I know who, um, and we can talk about these specifically if that's helpful later, but who have on their own marketing site actually a section that is alternatives, uh, like how we're different from X, how we're different from Y, how we're different from Z. Right? So if you drove traffic to those pages, what would that look like for you? It turns out it's actually pretty effective. So This is yet another personal finance software. You can see they have also used the copycat ready to take control of your finances messaging, because they looked around, (laughs) saw everyone else was doing it, went for it. And my business partner worked with this company really on a lot of their marketing strategy, but improving their messaging was a big part of her process. And it's the same process that I'll walk through in a moment that I use as well. Uh, She she ran some customer surveys to this company's best, most engaged users. And what she got back was that people wanted customization. They wanted flexibility. They were really in the same boat that I was in. So my business partner very intelligently took those words, rewrote the header of of, of this particular homepage, and changed it to say, the only way to fully customize the way you manage your money. Now, she's not even an expert copywriter. This is someone who very much touts herself as a, I, I will help you with strategy, and then I will coach your team through how to implement it. She's not, she's not a um, Joanna Weeb of copy hackers, if anyone is familiar with that brand, right? This is not her forte. But doing this increased the number of conversions from the homepage to the pricing page by 200%. Now, these people didn't all go straight to a trial, which speaks a lot to needing to understand, okay, what do we have to do to get them to the next step and the next and the next? But the point is, these are people who were interested enough in the solution, they were the right traffic, that instead of immediately bouncing, they thought, okay, what's the price of this compared to what I'm using now, right? They were, we, we, can, we can make some good guesses that they were in the right market, and maybe they needed to narrow down. There's a lot of, There's a lot of ways to even improve upon this, but the point is, This didn't really this this happened this this occurred or was run from someone who's not even an expert copywriter this is something you can do so um, there's two ways uh, that i would recommend doing this Um, and i've talked to a couple other folks who use jobs to be done and and everyone's practice is a little bit different of it Um, but what i like to do is both surveys and interviews Uh, so bob is obviously very very heavy on the interview side I prefer interviews because you get really deep insights from them, but surveys will give you a wider swath of information to work with. Um, so I'd recommend doing both. And I've run through this—I've run through this process both in-house and then with clients, and then with my own services and products. Um, and it—it it is something that becomes just, first of all, it becomes routine; it becomes easy to do. And second of all, you will walk away with so much information about your customers, which is never a bad thing. So. Um, If you'd like to use the templates that I myself use, um, you totally can. I was really excited that I could get Boss 2018 as a Bitly link. (laughs) I figured that would have been a little bit more competitive. Um, But Bitly, Boss, uh, and then Dash 2018, um, that doesn't actually add you to any marketing lists. It goes to a type form, and I'll ask your name and email, and then I'll send you everything. Uh, So let's walk through what those look like. So in sending out your customer surveys, Um, Similar to the talk that that took place right before this, I would not recommend surveying everyone in your user base. Uh, You want to choose your survey platform. I like Typeform. You can use anything you want. Um, SurveyMonkey or JotForm, et cetera. And you want to identify a couple hundred of your most high-value customers. So when I say high-value, I'm talking the people who immediately understood the value of your product, right, their sales cycle, wasn't extra, extra long. Um, Their engagement with the product is really, really high. Um, They haven't churned and you had to win them back. right? They've been been a healthy user and paying customer. Um, I had a conversation with someone last night about the newness of these people and whether that's important. If you have a large enough customer base, I would look at folks who, um, who signed up within the past year or six months or so Uh, Because they're going to have a fresher memory of of what their buying process looked like. Um, If you don't have that, you can can extend it, and it'll be be okay. But new new is ideal. Relatively new is ideal. So then you email them um, the link to your survey, and you let those results roll in for a while. Um, I have found that 25 to 50 is a good benchmark for when is enough. If you get more than that, fantastic. But not everyone gets more. It, It really depends on it really depends on how many customers you have um, the ability to send a survey to. Uh, but this is, this is kind of the rule of thumb that I work with. Um, and then you wanna hold back about 40 of those customers because you wanna email those people, and rather than asking them to fill out a survey, you wanna ask them to get on the phone. I am 99% sure that, that Bitly link also has the email templates that I use when I'm doing this outreach. Um, I don't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure those are in there as well. Uh, keep it super friendly, keep it super short. Uh, and I, I actually don't encourage incentivizing people, like we'll give you an Amazon gift card or, or, or a free month of the tool, uh, because that can skew your results. It can make people think that this is a testimonial call. And it's not, right? It's not a testimonial call. You're, you're trying to figure out their story uh, of what they did when they were seeking and, and eventually found and then tried out your product. So the customer interviews, you're gonna email those remaining folks that you haven't sent your survey invite to and invite them to a short interview. 30 to 35 minutes, I have found to be a decent amount of time to get some good information. Of course, if you could stay on the phone with them for an hour, you could go even deeper, but once you, the longer the interview gets, the harder that yes becomes for them, right? So 30 minutes is a, is a good rule of thumb. And then aim to hold at least 10. Uh, before that, it's gonna be really hard to identify the patterns in people's journey, the patterns in, in the struggle they felt and the life they were seeking. Um, and then I have a list of interview questions I use. Now, there's, um, Bob and I talked about this very briefly. Uh, you can also come to the table without questions, but instead with, with a hypothesis of what their journey looked like and kind of freeform the questions. I like to use a list of questions to stop myself from accidentally asking for opinion because uh, asking someone what do you think of our product is is really not inviting the correct information um, so I, I like to use this question list as my, my little guide um, the, the list that of questions that I'll use there will be a screenshot in a minute is pretty long. Um, if you don't get through all of them, that's fine uh, and we can talk about really we can talk about the mechanics of holding the interview after this if that's helpful to anyone. Uh, after that, You want to make sure that you've recorded every call. This should not be something that you've done without documentation of it. Um, And I would highly recommend recording and not taking notes because you need the exact words of your customers. You don't want your own shorthand. You don't want your own interpretation of what was said. You need the raw transcript. I love Rev.com. I'm a cheerleader for Rev.com because they provide really, really high quality transcripts within like 24 hours. I'm not getting compensated to say this. I have no affiliate link. It's just really useful if you do this work over and over and over. Um, So upload your call recordings to Rev and you'll get back word for word transcripts that you can start searching through to find the key words. So why do I have this slide? (laughs) Um, Okay, so once you have done this work, right? So once you've sent out the surveys and you're you're getting at least 25 to 50 responses in, once you're working on those interviews and you're getting those transcripts rolling in, you'll start to find the patterns in in each step of this this journey, so to speak. You'll start to find the patterns in what the top struggles were, um, how people went searching for a struggle, which is excellent, excellent input for figuring out which marketing channels you should be exploring and which your audience clearly doesn't use. Um, how people found that struggle, and then why life is better. What, you, what words they use to describe why they've stuck with your product. Uh, this is a little screenshot just of uh, how, I, how I parse the survey replies, and it's, it's a bit wordy, so if it's hard to read, I can come back to it. Uh, but the, the questions that I tend to ask are things like, when did you realize you needed something like this? Right? What happened that, that made you think, okay, I've gotta go searching for something new? So that's the when from the job story, right? The help me pops up in the survey questions three and four. And then the so I can, right, how is my life better, gets answered in the survey question five. So I've created these questions and mapped them very specifically to helping, helping you figure out what was the job trying to be done here. The interview questions are the same. This screenshot is not super easy to read. Um, but it's a, the interview is a much more in-depth version of that very high level little five question survey. And you'll notice, as I mentioned earlier, that we're not looking for feedback, we're not looking for opinion, we're trying to figure out a story, right? It's like, it's like you're trying to film a documentary of what was going on in that person's life step by step. And that's what these questions are geared to help you do. Uh, once you've gotten all of this qualitative data back, you're gonna have a ton, you're gonna have a ton of information. Uh, So there's different methods for sorting out what the most common phrases and words were. A word cloud is um, a great option if you want to go that direction. I really like, um, and I've I've created, like this this screenshot that I'm showing you here, this worksheet is what I call the voice of customer document. And what it is, is a series of tables that I use to sort out what the most common um, events were that triggered the struggle, how most customers went looking, which again, really informs marketing strategy top differentiators that set your product apart, right? So once you you are ready to start talking about features in your messaging, you know what to emphasize. Um, And then the aha moment that that prompted the purchase and and how life has become better, right? What what should you emphasize in terms of, here's how you will feel after you purchase our product? So you use all those, and you get yourself out of this, like, brainstorm session mentality, right? (laughs) You're no longer using words that you and your, your team came up with out of thin air or your, your marketer came up with when they were trying to be clever. You're using customer data to inform how you speak to your customers. It's mirroring, right? So once you've done this, you can be confident that you're actually fueling up all that hard work that you're doing with the right fuel. And you'll see your performance go from here up to here. Um, oh, and this is a goofy slide with emojis on it. <laughs> Um, so, that link is here one more time. I'm happy to leave this up. Um, but at this point, uh, I'm also happy to go to questions.
3: Um. <laughs> you don't wanna do. <laughs> Sorry. Um, hey. At the, uh, the interview stage, one of the things we've had difficulty with is uh, actually getting, if we've got a small set, Of potential people that we want to invite to an interview, how do we, how do we get them to actually agree to do it? So-
1: Like get them on the phone?
3: Yeah, so do you have to pay them? Should they just want to do it by themselves? Do you have any thoughts about how to-
1: When Raul mentioned that the, the, um, I can't remember his exact term for this particular type of user, I use the phrase ideal customer. um, But ideal customers want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about the product. um, And so I can, I can share the, the mechanics of how I get these people on the phone. Um, what I do is I send the email saying, hey, would you be interested in this? And if I get a yes back, so the first thing I'm doing is asking for an initial yes. Um, has anyone heard the, the theory of like, getting, like, getting two yes? like The more yeses you can get from someone, the more likely they will say yes to the most difficult one, which is purchasing or getting on a call or whatever it may be. Once I get a yes, um, then I send them a, I use Calendly. You can use a million scheduling tools. Um, but I send a Calendly link that lets them pick the time that's convenient for them. Um, and I have found roughly a 25% uh, original email to booking rate. Um, now, that that can vary widely depending on the type of customer that you're, you're working with. It, it can, can vary based on a lot, there's many variables there. Um, but just make sure that you are sending, this out, you're sending these invites out to enough people um, that you can aim for that rate. Um, you'd be surprised, people are actually, of course they're busy, right? But people are actually, if, they, if they're if they your ideal customer, if they're really engaged in the product, they'll, you'll be surprised at how happy they are to talk about their experiences with it. I thoroughly
4: recommend you can book me. Yes. who are much better than yes. Lin, Bridget, Li-
1: Bridget and Keith are literally here. So, you can book me, we'll also hook that's you up.
4: You can book me.
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry, I'm a question, Jared Spool, yes. Jared Spool yesterday said, what did he, he used He uses a, you can book me. He used a very particular term last night. He called it his magic scheduling automation thingy. That's how he describes it in emails to people. So, yeah. if you want to use a technical term, that's that's recommended by Jared Spool.
3: <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. thank you so much. Very insightful conversation, we've been doing couple, actually a number of customer interviews as well before uh, mapping our website. And um, it's interesting you mentioned recording the calls because not only uh, you may not be great with taking notes, like I, right. I'm not such a fast typer, uh, but you also want to share it with the team. And what I found when I asked people, and I assume, like you said audio recording of what people tell you, either like the yes. video recording. Uh, when I told them that, well, f- it's only for internal purposes for us to improve yes. the product, like do you mind if I record our conversation? It was drastically, the, the the way they spoke to me and how they shared information was drastically different from when I didn't, well, when I didn't record and when I kind of warned them in advance. They felt, uh, what I noticed, they felt more uh, like and uh, perhaps a little bit cautious about what things they say and they were thinking like, am I saying, it felt like they were trying to find the right answer to my questions, which definitely isn't the thing what I was looking for, there isn't the right answer. So the question is, how do you make sure that you record it, like you don't run to legal problems, but you also don't uh, make the person biased?
1: It's a really good question. Uh, can I ask some follow-up questions? Sure, yeah. So what's the type of audience that you're, what's the type of customer that you're getting on the phone? Who is this person today? Um,
3: It's a, when we were doing interviews, when we shifted to uh, team functionality within our product from a pure individual personality, uh, customer, and they were mostly either team leaders, uh, like a design team lead, or uh, founders and CEOs at a smaller, uh, small to medium sized businesses.
1: Okay, so it sounds like largely business people right Um,
3: business people professionals
1: so I'm not sure if you're doing this already you may be Uh, I have only had one occasion where someone was uncomfortable with a recording um, in which case I I was so unprepared for that because I'd never gotten it before that, (laughs) I um, I was like okay well I guess we won't record it really took me by surprise Um, and so I did end up uh, trying to take notes and that was probably one of the biggest waste of time uh, because all I had were, was my own shorthand of this person's account, I couldn't integrate that into all the all of the raw data. Mm-hmm. Um, if at all possible, when when getting on the phone um, before jumping into the interview, I try to have a, an informal like small talk conversation. Um, and I try to explain to them, like, hey, here's what I do. Uh, and usually I've done this as a consultant working with a client, and so I'll say, um, you may have seen my email address was different than, um, you know, than, than XYZ company. Uh, it's because I'm working with them to help them better understand like you and, and what your story was. Um, this is definitely not you know, trick questions. This is very much, consider this very much a conversation and not really an interview. Um, and then I, I, try to, I try to steer the recording uh, and letting them know it'll, will be, they'll be recorded, um, I try to be very careful about how I introduce that. So instead of saying, do you mind if I record this? I'll say, so we are recording this. It's not going, like you said, it's not going anywhere. Um, this is purely just so that I don't have to take notes, but please rest assured, the recording will not be saved or anything like that. Um, and, and I try to essentially like give them, I first try to disarm them and make them feel comfortable. Um, as if we're just having a conversation, and then I let them know the recording is not going to go anywhere, right? So if they're really serious about it, I'll make a note um, to myself, delete this file after we've created it. And I'll keep the transcript for for usage purposes, but that way they have no, there's nothing, they can't come back and say, well, we we still need you to to delete the transcript, if that's helpful. Yep, yep,
3: Yeah. that I guess is different. We probably will try, um, I think the small doc is the bigger differentiator because I didn't do that, <laughs> obviously.
1: You brought up very briefly. You mentioned, you know, the you let your your users know that these are for internal purposes. And I should mention, doing these these interviews um, obviously is helpful in, in many aspects, right? So there's product the product development aspect, and um, there's the marketing aspect. These are wildly useful as internal educational tools. So when I was in house and I conducted all these interviews for our different segments of customers, I then turned all of those interviews and transcripts into team onboarding, part of the team onboarding process. Um, And so for the first week that someone joined um, our company, part of their their responsibilities early on uh, as they got up to speed with the product was listening to these calls, listening to these interviews so that they could gain that much more empathy before starting their job. Um, So if you can keep the recordings, I would suggest that you do, but if you have to get rid of one um, to make your customer feel comfortable, it's not the worst thing in the world.
4: Ray, that's your eighth question of the conference. (laughs) You are really getting your money's worth, aren't you, Ray?
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for a a really helpful talk. Um, I want to bring segmentation to this conversation, because the J in JTDBD is plural. Yes. Okay, since you, you seem primed for it. So could you comment on how to apply this thinking, this framework, to having multiple answers, and how we might apply it using things like, you know, like the stuff that Brendan Dunn is doing around write message, right message um, to be able to express multiple messages, multiple positionings to multiple customers?
1: So when the, as you've very well described, when you're doing these, these interviews and conducting these surveys, you may find that there's not one job that your customers are doing. It's very likely that there's not one job that they're doing. Um, they may they may be doing it for multiple reasons, um, and I with that info, I then um, in the the one of the screenshots I used was of what I call my voice of customer doc. In that customer voice of customer doc, I will actually duplicate the top messages table or the top struggles table, um, and I'll start. I'll start basically filtering the rest of the doc based on everyone who was struggling with this job gave me all of these answers. Everyone who was struggling with this job gave me all of these answers. Um, And that creates a smaller sample size to work with on each one. So additional follow-up or additional research to more customers may be necessary. Um, But then you can actually start getting much more targeted in your marketing messages. So um, actually right now, I'm about to kick off a project with a client and this client has stated, well, some people use our product for X, other people use it for Y, other people use it for Z. Uh, What do we do, right? Um, So my plan in working with this client is to get on the phone with this same quantity of people in each use case, um, and then we will actually, this is gonna sound like a crazy amount of work, but if you do it gradually and over time, you can get there, we're actually gonna be building out slightly different marketing strategies to reach each segment and speak to each segment in the appropriate way. Awesome, thank you. Yeah.
4: Thank you. Now, Asia, I'm guessing as you're working with Claire, this is what's called a plant question. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly? (laughs) This this is not planted, whatever you're going to ask. (laughs) No, this is actually like super not planted, so. uh, What's up, Claire? Um, Okay, so there are many companies here who, I'm sure are like, yep, this is amazing, I'm, I'm into this, I'm ready, but uh, they might be working with other teams or leaders who might say, well, we don't want to bother the customer or we don't want to uh, we don't want to bug them, or uh, it could even be like, a, um, a, I, I actively don't have access to these people or um, implementing something like this. What advice do you have for people in that position?
1: So to me, I'm here actually to... to Similar but different positions. One is I don't want to bother my customer. How do I get over that? Uh, which is a very legitimate concern um, and can stop a lot of research efforts. <laughs> uh, whether it's this or whether it's running a poll on your site or whatever it may be. Um, the first thing that I would stress, uh, and I I know you've, I'm sure you've dealt with this, I've had to deal with it as well. The first thing I would stress is this is only temporary. We're not going to do this to every customer forever and ever. This is a, this is a one-time exercise for for this year or whatever it may be. And two, we're only reaching out to the people who already love us. So no, we don't want to bombard them with email after email and say, hey, why didn't you schedule a call? You sure didn't want to schedule a call? As Raul mentioned, keep outreach to each customer, um, a one-time outreach, and if they don't respond, let it go. Um, But I would emphasize to the leadership team that you're working with, that we're only reaching out to the people who are already super loyal to us. They already have some affection for our product. They're super engaged. They're the ones who are the least likely to be bothered uh, versus someone who gets our our emails um, and never opens them, never uses the product. Those are the people that we're we're not even going to spend our time on. Um, So there is that. And then what was the other scenario? Not having access to the data. Uh, Not
4: having access to... sorry. Sorry. Hang on. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Uh, uh, Two potential scenarios, I guess. Uh, Maybe um, that research process is being blocked by uh, a team guarding the customers, as as much as we would like to believe it doesn't happen. Yeah, Yeah, um, sometimes it happens. Um, How do you um, navigate uh, those, those kinds of conversations, kind of getting those people on your side?
1: There was one time I, I did have a customer success team that that was not interested in this project because they said, "Well, we already send NPS surveys, so we don't want to send another survey." Uh, the first thing the first thing you can do is present it not as marketing is going to come in and take over, but this is a collaboration opportunity, right? Um, and that same that same hesitation from customer success can exist within the product team or. Um, Whichever team that you're um, that you're receiving that friction from, I would present it as this is information that's going to help me, but it's also going to help you and your department do your jobs better because you'll have a, a clearer idea of what the success metrics, what success metrics actually matter versus what we only thought mattered but are still leading to churn. Um, so can we can we tag team on this? Can we give you guys the survey and? ask you to filter down um, and help us only find the people in our database who are the right people, and can you be in charge of sending the survey? And we'll follow in, We'll follow up, we'll, we'll tag team every week to see how progress is going, but we would be happy for your team to be as equally involved in this because it will be t- definitely equally as helpful. Um, l- the one that's really tripping me up is lack of access to which of these users are most engaged because that becomes a, that's more of an architectural problem. Um, I don't know if there's an easy solution for that uh, because ultimately you, may, you and your team may have to go back to the drawing board in terms of how you're monitoring your customer data and how you're monitoring customer activity. Um, so I think that one I would, excuse me, I'd have to do more thinking on whether there's a good fix or whether that might be the one scenario in which you're stuck you may need to do a lot of reworking of how you manage your customer data and then revisit this, which obviously does not spell great things
4: <laughs> Yes so, oh, so it's dark. Dave, sorry yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah brand new to it um, and full disclosure uh, as of two days ago was a salesman um, so I don't want to be able to yes Thanks, thank you. I was going to sure. say, yes. so, and, I, you and I,
1: said that to, I said
2: to make sure that uh, everyone knew what the target was. Um, but maybe just a question and some thoughts because I think, in kind of uncovering where to take that conversation or how to introduce that, I think a lot can be said to looking at the sales cycle of the specific client, right? And kind of always looking back as to how we're now in a position where we need to make some asks. Because I feel with the team that I've worked with, the CSMs, It's an easy conversation when you maybe, as a sales rep, can identify someone through the sales cycle who's been super engaged. Maybe as the buyer going to be a super user or is going to hand this platform off to 20 people and say, this is yours, but I vetted it with you. Um, And I think to your point, I think we really need to realize that there are people raising their hands always to say how much they love you. And so I think some places that we found is just user forums. And again, depending on your customer base and size, you're not going to get that right away. Um, so that was just a share. And I guess my to follow up on that, the question for you is, do you kind of in the periphery, when you come into an organization, take a look at what already exists from like customer user groups and use that to maybe identify people and educate on people they, they already have in their realm, which I think a lot of us already do and don't realize that you can maybe easily identify and pick to you know, use in this example?
1: Yes. Well, I think two answers. Um, so there were... One, I would I would strongly agree with you that uh, in a business where the sales team is a is a major part of the buying process, right? So we're talking we're talking further shifting toward enterprise products versus self serve SMB products. Um, One of the inherently two things inherently the customer base is probably going to be a little bit smaller um, because it's 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 lower velocity sales um, but larger deals. Um, so because of that, the, you as whoever's running this project has just fewer customers to pick from. In that scenario, I definitely agree with you that I would be going both to CSMs and sales and asking, who are the people you know are our best people? Because the larger the, larger the deal sizes, the more likely those teams will have deep relationship with these really engaged customers. Um, so definitely agree, um, it's, that makes a, a ton of sense when you've got a sales and, and CSM team to work with. Um, and then the second thing was around, like, something something about different types of customers.
2: I've already identified some folks, I'm sorry.
1: If there's, I would, ask, I would ask the internal team, how do they identify engaged? What does that mean to them? Um, and I would use their internal criteria. So. Uh, Engaged can look really different depending on your type of product, right? If it's an app that you have to log into to get value from, um, and, and typically coming in, I'm not, the, I'm not the expert on the product by any means. So I need the sales and the CSM team to identify for me what is engaged, what is successful even look like. Um, in terms of cherry picking, uh, what I tend to focus on, to, if, if we need to reduce the scope of the project and focus on just like this this on just most successful and and they say well we have you know five different segments or we have five use cases are we going to interview 50 60 people um, i will typically start with the one that is most beneficial to the business which typically means highest acv um, so that's where i if if you're dealing if you're trying to figure out like okay which of our useful which of our successful customers do we start with uh, that's where i'd be looking first thank you yep
4: right, we got time for one more simon
2: Hi, uh, very good talk. Thank you. Um,
3: do you have any other uh, specific tactics for addressing the struggle? So, like you brought up, for example, uh, having landing pages for you know, insert competitor name here. Alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 techniques have you found that uh, that have worked well? Kind of a maybe long tail-ish approach, I suppose.
1: Hey, maybe. So, I think to really dive into that, um, I've we've got to talk about the, the different, um, is anyone here familiar with the the concept of, um, we all know what a buying journey is, we, we all, like, it's, it's not so much like need, or no need to need, need to eval, eval to buy, buy to salute, uh, success, it's more, um, there's, a, there's a concept that uh, I rely on a lot called the stages of awareness, um, and the stages of awareness are essentially how tuned in someone is to to the, the competitive landscape before they find your product so um, a good example with a scheduling or not scheduling sorry um, still thinking if you can book me from a previous question but um, for personal finance software um, there are potential buyers can be at different stages um, when they feel a particular struggle and suddenly need that software so, there's um, the completely unaware stage. Whatever they're using previously is fine for them. They have no struggle at all. Um, they may be using, they may be like super old school. Maybe they're not doing anything. Maybe they just have no personal finance management system at all. Um, and that hasn't become a problem for them yet. Maybe they're using pen and paper because uh, they're not super, like, te- they don't, they don't like, adopt new technology very quickly. Um, there's, there's that stage, which is fully unaware. Um, those people uh, are going to need to be spoken to and, and you're going to need to develop marketing for them that's very different than someone like me who's hyper aware of the, of the, of the competing solutions. So we've got unaware, pain or, or problem aware. These are, these are people who are starting to feel the struggle, um, but they may not know yet about other comp- competing solutions. Um, they may just be like, man, budgeting sucks, I never know how much money I have, this is really messy, I can't plan but they haven't really started thinking, should it be YNAB versus Tiller, or Tiller versus Quicken? They're, they're not thinking that, um, it, it, they're, not, they're not that advanced yet. Um, so there's unaware, pain-aware. Solution-aware is people who, like me, are actively looking at competition. Um, so the type of, uh, I mentioned a very, oh, I'm getting, I'm running out of time. Um, I mentioned a, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'll get them away, don't worry. (laughs) Anyway, so I mentioned Mm -hmm. a very specific tactic. I'm I'm like way in the weeds here, but I mentioned a tactic where on your website you might have, here's how we're different to these five competitors. That's a really good way to resonate with someone who's solution aware. They're actively comparison shopping. That's not a way to help someone who's unaware or pain aware, right? They're just not, their needs aren't that complex yet. Um, Most aware is people who, they've heard about your product before, they're they probably using a different solution. And now they're like, ooh, is this going to be better? Is this going to be better than what I'm using now? So you could actually say that I'm probably product aware. I know your brand name, and I'm trying to actively vet whether you're better. Um, so what do they say? Unaware, pain aware, solution aware, product aware. And then most aware is people who are coming to your website literally to sign up or, or purchase. They, you just need to get out of their way. Um, so this would actually turn into an entirely different talk, but a good marketing strategy is going to speak to people at every single one of those stages of awareness. Um, If you, the the people that are closest to purchasing are typically those who are further along in those stages. So if you're in urgency mode and you're like, how do we get people who need us right now? Um, You wanna be thinking about those people. If you're you're planning for the long term, um, you wanna be thinking about, okay, people who are not as far in those stages of awareness, how do we start getting in front of them and marketing the problem, the pain, so that they can eventually come to us when they understand that, that they really need a solution. Um, I hope that answers your question. I feel like I could definitely go into a, a separate conference talk about it. <laughs> um, so but it a really good question. <laughs> okay, I'm done.
0: Business of Software is not just about great talks and amazing podcasts. Everything we do is to help you learn and be inspired. Check out businessofsoftware.org to see the selection of masterclasses we have lined up and keep an eye out for details about what's in store for the coming year. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, why not leave us a glowing five-star review? The best place to do so is on Apple Podcasts, and every review helps us reach more and more people and extend the Boss Community Network. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.